Good evening. Good to see you all tonight, guys. The eve before. This may be our last Wednesday night here, huh? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, um, for your majesty, Lord, your hand upon our lives for good, Lord. And you love us, Lord, more than we could ever imagine. And, and, is, and we know that it's expressed in the cross of at Calvary, at Christ, Lord, um, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, Lord. Thank you for the power of forgiveness, the power of your strength, Lord, resting on us, Lord. Lord, how you lavish us with love, Lord, how, Lord, um, you put up with us. Lord, you know us from the inside out, Lord, yet, Lord, you're not ashamed to call us brethren. So, Lord, thank you for your benevolent love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for always being the same, Lord. And so, Lord, we love you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We, we want to say thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And bless this church. Bless the people who come here, Lord. Lord, bless them with the hearing of your word, Lord. And encourage us to be doers of the word, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would um, continually, Lord, keep us in the hour we live in and the day we live in, Lord. Lord, speak to us as only you can speak through your word. And as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, I do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with us to 2 Kings. Chapters 16 and 17, we'll try to get through. I'm sure we can do this. It's, it's um, almost 8 o'clock. It's 7.51, and we, we can do it. Kelly said we can do it. <laughs> okay, Kings chapter 16. Look, it says, in the 17th year of Pekah, Pekah, which means opening, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jothan, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, he's also the grandson of Uzziah. Uzziah, or in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up Isaiah 6. And so he had a son, Uzziah's son was Jothan. Jothan's son was Ahaz, that's his grandson. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old. That's not good news being 20 years old and being, becoming king. When he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and notice his testimony. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Now, Isaiah is the prophet during his entire reign. We know that Isaiah was a prophet during his entire reign and parts of his son reign and parts of his grandson reign. So Isaiah go through Uzziah, you know, Jothan. He'll be prophet during the time of Ahaz. He'll be the prophet during the time of Hezekiah. And he'll be the prophet during even all the way to Manasseh. So Isaiah was a prophet for a long time. It says, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, speaking of the northern kingdom. And you know what their testimony was. They had all had the same testimony. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was their testimony. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire. He made his son pass through the fire, which is interesting here, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So it says he made his son pass through the fire. You guys are weird in the world that's talking about, pass through the fire. It's a literal fire. This is not an idiom or some type of allegorical kind of language. This is a literal fire. You know, he burnt his incense in the valley of Hinnon, it says, and burnt his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That was flat out disobedience to God's law. 
flat out disobedience to let your kids go through the fire. And, and, and But it's amazing that when you read this, he let his children go through the fire, but somehow Hezekiah survived through all of this, because we'll have Hezekiah's king. But Hezekiah apparently didn't have any heirs. I don't know if he had any brothers or anything, but I know Hezekiah survived all of this. But he had at least brothers and sisters that were placed in the fire. you imagine taking your child and put him through the fire? You don't have to turn to this. I'm going to read something for you. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. In the law, which they had during this time as kings, it says, you shall not let any of your descendants, that mean not only your children, your descendants, pass through the fire of Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Molech was this metal-like stature, looked like this, and they would heat them up with fire from the inside out. They would place their babies and lay them on Molech. That's how the babies just were scorched. And they would have a drummer on the sideline to beat this drum to drown out the baby cry. It was evil. In the psalm, Psalm 106 says that in Psalm 106, verse 36 and 37, it's interesting with N38 with the writer of um, N39 in Psalm 106 writes, he says that they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood, thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Such wickedness. Years and years later, when Jeremiah is called into the prophetic ministry, and God raised up Jeremiah, you know, before you were even born, I knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. He said he knew Jeremiah before Jeremiah was even on the scene. I knew you, and I ordained you, and I called you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah was challenging the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, when he writes in Jeremiah 32, he said that, and they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them. This is God telling Jeremiah to write this, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to re receive instructions, but they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it, and they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Molech, which I did not command them, nor did I come, and nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. The whole nation was starting to put their kids through the fire. The whole nation. You know, Exodus says, moreover, you, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me. God says, you bore them. They were my kids. I just allowed them to come through your womb. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire? to pass through the fire. Look, since 1973, it's been about 60, probably almost close to 70 million abortions here in the United States of America. You know, it was a record year. One year, it was in 1990, it was 1,429,279 abortions here in the United States of America. Oh, they didn't pass their kids to the fire. They just let the precepts suck them out of the womb. And look, data proves the majority of women who had abortions, 57% were in their 20s. 57% 
were in their 20s, while about 3 in 10 was 30, 30, which is 31%, were in their 30s. Teens between 13 and 19 accounted for 8% of those who had abortions, while women in their 40s accounted for 4%. The vast majority of women who had abortions were unmarried, that's 86%, while married women account for 14% of abortions, according to the CDC. Do you know how many babies has been aborted that may have found a cure for cancer? That may have found a cure for lupus, for sickle cell anemia. You know, uh, could you imagine all these, the, the blood on all these doctors' hands and they, and they don't even realize it? That these clinics all over the nation. Well, why did you have an abortion? Well, we couldn't afford the baby, you know. And just like passing them through the fire. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. What the, how's that relevant to right now? It's just like today. Nothing is new under the sun. It's just maybe a different methodology. But nothing is new under the sun. And if you're a believer and you love Jesus and you're born again, and you say, well, I had an abortion when I was young. I didn't know what to do. You'll have a reunion with that baby in heaven. You're not condemned. You know, now, therefore, is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You're not condemned. You're not, you know, God is not looking at you to, oh, because the enemy will try to make you feel guilty. No, no, no. That's your past, forgetting those things which are behind. And you're forgiven. You are forgiven. God can forgive anything. You say, well, he forgive murders? Yeah, he forgive murder. He, look, Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. He used all of them. <laughs> they wrote scripture. <laughs> Three guys that wrote a great chunk of scripture were all murderers. So you know God is in the forgiving business. So if you had an abortion, you don't walk around the rest of your Christian life with this guilt over your head weighing over you like God don't forgive you. You're forgiven. But this wickedness here in this nation... Gives people the wrong options sometimes. What about the option? Keep the baby and let somebody else raise them. Oh, it's a bunch of women that can't, in infertility, they can't have babies. Take them and give them to that person and let them be raised by somebody and loved and be used by God one day. He loves the orphans, you see. Verse 4 says, and he, meaning Ahaz, sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree, then risen, king of Syria, and Pekah, Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Judah to make war, and they beseeched Ahaz, but could not overcome him. They were coming against Ahaz, not to make war in that sense, but they wanted him to join forces with them against the Assyrians' superpower of that day. Assyria was the superpower of that day, but he refuses to do so. And because he refuses to join with them, God would send his word to Ahaz by Isaiah. And Ahaz trusted in God, and for Ahaz would have, should have trusted in God, and not, his, you know, and, and not his circumstances, but instead he trusted in his circumstances and didn't trust in God. You see how that can happen? We can trust in our circumstances and believe our circumstances more than we believe in God. Isaiah chapter 7. I got to read this. I got to read it. I have to read this because this is about a matter of fact, turn to Isaiah chapter seven. Hold your place in second Kings chapter 16, verse five. Just hold your hand there. But turn to Isaiah chapter seven, because I think this would make a lot of sense to all of us on Ahaz's character and about who he was and how he thought. You, you see, Isaiah chapter seven, verse one, it says, now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jothan, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that risen king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart 
and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear um, Jashab, your son, which his son name means a remnant will return, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fullest field and say to him, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be fainthearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger risen in Syria and the son of Ramallah, because Syria, Ephraim, which was a picture of the northern kingdom, and the son of Ramaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Sarah is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will be, be not a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Verse 10, saying, ask a son for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. This is a blank check. He's giving him a blank check. <laughs> Isn't that something? There's no good king. He says, ask. Ask and it shall be given to you. He didn't even say knock. He says, just ask. The door is open, Ask. It was God's invitation to ask the men to ask. You trust me with your life. And this was a, a pivotal point in Ahaz's life. He said, ask. Just ask. You just ask. I'll do it. I love you. I know who you are. I know your lifestyle. But ask. In the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, and he's trying to be spiritual, but he's not. I will not ask. He's talking to Isaiah. No, will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing, notice, for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, this was Isaiah telling him, therefore the Lord himself, now think about this, will give you, meaning the nation of Israel, a sign Behold, notice where this context is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall his name, his name shall be called Emmanuel. He is the king that Isaiah the prophet tells him about the virgin birth. And when you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Ahaz in verse 9 of chapter 1, Ahaz is mentioned. He's in the genealogy of Christ, and here the Lord of the universe says, look, I'm revealing my son to you. He'll be born of a virgin. He's the first person that heard that, I'm sure. Isn't that amazing? And we know about the virgin birth when you read Genesis when he says, you know, my seed will, you know, I'll put his seed against her seed. You know, like women don't have seed, so you know it had to be something supernatural and it had to be a virgin birth. But here's specific about, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God with us. Isaiah is telling Ahaz to his face, God with us. And you don't even want him. Isn't that a shame? The first person in the Bible to hear of the virgin birth is Ahaz. Turn back to 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 6. It makes sense. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. It says, at that time, risen king of Syria captured Eloth for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Eloth. Eloth means palm groove. 
Um, it was a major port city of the Gulf of Eloth on the Red Sea. You know, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 8. Eloth, then the Edomites, which were descendants of Esau, went to Eloth and dwell there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers, notice, to Tiglath or Tiglath Pileser. Dangerous man, king of Syria. He is also known as Paul. If you look at 2 Kings um, 15, 19, he was called Paul. Um, this is Tagliapalazzo. He reigned from 745 to 727 BC, about five years before the northern kingdom would be taken completely captive and scattered all around, around the world. And a nation would be birthed out of, out of them called the Samaritans. And you know, he is considered to be one of the most successful military commanders or leaders in secular world history. This man is a bad boy. Tagalef Pileser, king of Syria, saying, and this is what Ahaz come to the king of Assyria and says, I am your servant and your son. Can you believe that? Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. Now, instead of him crying out to God, he's going, God said, here's a blank check, ask anything. He's going to go to a pagan king and say, you help me out. You help me out. The, the, isn't that crazy? It sounds crazy, don't it? That this man would go to a pagan king because this king is supposed to be the world superpower nation. And said, you help us out. Isn't that crazy? You know, the God of Israel, the one who was a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. You know, he was the one who opened the Red Sea. He was the one who destroyed Pharaoh's army who drowned in the Red Sea. He was the one that caused Israel to have victory over seven nations that were mightier than they were. He was the one, his name is Yahweh. He does wondrous and great things. Psalm 86 verse 10 says he does wondrous and great things. Why would you depend on man? He spoke the world into existence. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, one of my favorite verses. Let there be light, and, then this, and it was light. He can stop the mouths of lions. You ask Daniel and the lions, and he could quench the fiery, fiery furnaces. Acts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the one who can take up, you know, take us up from the earth, change us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and place us in glory. So why in the world would I trust in man? Why would you put any hope in man? Why? Why? And Ahaz called this, this pagan king, he calls him, I'm your son. <laughs> you should have been a son of God. This is what sin does. It causes a person to depend on the wrong God. The wrong people. In a time of crisis. We should be on our knees when a crisis comes. Not try to call everybody in the whole wide world. You see, when something happened, everybody called. Let me tell you, it's a crisis. I got a kid. Takes no more. Help me. We're looking for a human being to kind of settle us down. Do you know that we do that? We look for human means to settle us down. When he said, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. And we know, well, you, you care for me, but not in this situation, God. You don't look at you don't know how tough these guys are coming up after me. This is horrible. I don't know how I'm going to make it. He says, look, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not towards your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. There's people who today, they're good until everything is, you know, they're good when everything is good. But when it goes, one thing go out of order. You'll see what you're made of. It's like hot water. You never know what tea tastes like until you put it in the hot water. It's just old tea bag when it's on the, in the box on the shelf. Put it in hot water. You know what flavor it is. And our lives can be like that. The same God who breathes the breath of life in our breath. Great are you, Lord. We sing those songs. And when circumstances come, you know what we say? He is great. But I don't know about in this circumstances. I don't know. I trust God. But this just happened. Oh, I trust him. But you don't know how big this is. 
I went to the doctors and I was, you don't understand. Well, I got a verse. I don't need no verse. Don't you give me no verse. I need a human being right now to fix my problem. And God don't always fix our problems, but he fixes us in our problems. And sin always costs money. Look at the next verse. And Ahaz took silver and gold, caused the money to trust in the wrong God that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present. This is really protection dues or tribute. This is not no present. To the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried his people captive to Ker, and killed Risen. At this point, Pekah was also dethroned by the Assyrians, and Hoshea was put in his place, who would be the last king of the northern kingdom, but he was like a puppet king or a vessel king. And he would, you know, he would be the last king of the northern kingdom and would be ultimately done away with as, as well. It says, now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Taglipalazer, king of Israel, and saw, notice, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. This is some kind of altar that was used for the sacrifice of the, you know, Assyrian pagan gods. He saw this altar, and King Ahaz sent to um, Uriah the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all of his workmanship. You're in a pagan place, you meet a pagan king, and you're thinking he's somebody great. And you say, ah, oh, I, like, oh, I like that. Give me that altar right there. You got an altar in Jerusalem. You got the brazen altar. You have an altar. You have a few altars. But you want this pagan altar. Then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all the, that King Ahaz had sent him from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. He, was, he must have, I want this done by the time I get back. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar. And the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Oftentimes, even in the church, we want a new altar. We want a new altar when we think that God is not cooperating with our plans. Or we go somewhere and see something. We visit a, a praise and worship night somewhere, and they got smoke machines. Then you come back to your church like, oh, God, I don't know why they don't have smoke machines like that. They should have the smoke machines. They, I just saw them at that other church. This is how we do. Oh, they got a band and everybody jumping up and down with their hair. Why don't I? believe our church don't have why we don't have the band jumping up and down I don't understand that that's the dangers of going to carnal places for carnal reasons you pick up carnal habits and your eye gate will see something that your heart gate start desiring and then when you go to a place that's genuine and real you start thinking that that's false and what you think is real is something that's really false and the things that are real you start despising those things because they don't no longer appeal to the flesh. And that's why you see a bunch of people go from one church to the next church today. I'm going to find a perfect pill church. I'm going to find it one day. And then people like that, their lives be a mess. Because nobody can look them in the eyes and say, look how you're living. What are you reading? When the last time you've been at prayer? When the last time you've been at a Bible study? How are you serving the Lord? What do you do in ministry? What do you, how do you serve the Lord? How are you serving him at, at work? Who, when is the last time you led somebody to Jesus Christ? This is go make disciples. Well, who are you discipling? I ain't discipling nobody. I just like the smoke machines they had at that church I was at. This is how people think today. Because they're carnal. They're not spiritual minded. They're carnal minded. And one place the next place, I was there and the music was the best music I ever heard in my life. Music don't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. We live in a country that worship the worship. Don't y'all understand that? Anything that appeals to the flesh. Rome had so many gods, they had one god called Bacchus, the god of wine. Imagine worshiping the god of wine. You know they was drunk every time they went to worship him. This is what's happening to our church today. People think they need more, and they need more, but it's all more for the flesh. 
It's not more for the kingdom of God. Because they only last a little bit. That only lasts a little bit. You get through some tough times. That music only lasts that night. That's it. He wanted a new altar. Give me a, hey, look at that one, man. That thing shine. Mm-mm-mm. How many of y'all want a new altar tonight? How many of y'all want to drink out another, another, another well? That's what people do all the time. And you look at years later, I've seen people go from under good Bible teaching, good sound doctrine, to some place where they say, oh, they, look, the person that he wrote 20 books. The church got 80,000 people. You know that's the Lord. Are you kidding me? I've seen stadiums filled and the person behind the podium didn't even use the Bible. And everybody left this and they had a great time in the Lord. And it shows you the condition of the church. People can't discern what is a good time in the Lord versus a good time for themselves. They can't discern a difference. And it says, so he burnt his burnt offering and his grain offering and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of peace offerings on the altar, this new altar. He also brought the, um, the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. Notice, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded um, Uriah, the priest, saying, on the great new, look what he put in front of this altar now. The great new altar. Burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering with the burnt offering and all the people of the land, the grain offering and the drink offerings, plural, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the bronze altar shall be before me to inquire by. He's using God altar for some type of soothsaying. Like rolling dice, you know. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm also an Aquarius or a Sagittarius. I just read my sign today, and it said I ain't going to have a good day. It's supposed to rain or some dumb stuff like that. Thus did Uriah the priest, what a compromising priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the levers from them. And look, and he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. And also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account, notice, of the king of Assyria. He did this to please a pagan king. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers, notice, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. You know, 2 Chronicles 28 verse 22 says, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became Increasingly unfaithful to the Lord, that, it, that is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which he had defeated, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped me. He was polytheistic. That means he believed in many gods. Not pantheistic, which means that everything, God is in everything. He's polytheistic. <laughs> this is the man, he, he's crazy. And it says, then Hezekiah's son reigned in his place. This is the best news to come out of this chapter. This one little part of this verse is only, you know, eight little words. Then Hezekiah's son reigned in his place. One of the best parts of the entire chapter. Because this godly king will come from a wicked father. Don't tell me nothing about no generational curse nonsense. His son is going to be godly. In chapter 17, verse 1, yeah, I can do this. In the 20th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, and they've just given us some history backwards. 
Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned nine years. Notice his resume. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, now Teclapalazar is gone off the scene. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, as he was known, he's the son of Teclapalazar. He, this king, he only reigned for three years from 724 to 722 BC, but he's going to be the one to take Judah captive. I mean, not Judah, the northern kingdom captive and scatter them abroad. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vessel and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sell king of Egypt. Now, it's been some 724 years or so that God brought the nation of Israel out of the hands of Egyptian bondage. And now Israel's self has become so, you know, paganistic that they're asking for help from the same people God delivered them from. And we as Christians can do the same thing, going back to a place where you once were freed from. You was freed from that man 20 years ago. You call him up to say, I got my, my electric cut off. And he said, well, what you going to do to get it cut back on? But what you going to do for me to get it cut back on? And he'd be like, well, come on, Tyrone. Before you know it, you got your electric paid all right. King of Egypt and brought no tribute to the king of Syria. He said, I ain't paying you no more money. As he had done year by year, therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and Hoshea, he's talking about, and bound him in prison. Hoshea may have been thinking since the kingdom has switched hands of power that he could, you know, solicit help from Saul, the king of Egypt, and not pay tribute to Shalmaneser V, but that didn't work. All Hoshea had to do was one thing, cry out to the Lord. Isn't that something? But he's going around. They go all around the circles. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried, notice, sad verse, sad day for the nation of Israel, and carried Israel away. Sad day for the nation of Israel with the hand of God, chasing his people for the idolatry and apostasy and many other vile transgressions, put near kids to the fire. And it says, and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by, you know, and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. The root of every nation being carried away is sin. The root of every believer being carried away is sin. Turning away from the God of creation, the king of the earth. You know God is called the king of the earth? Did you know that? He's called the king of the earth. It's in um, Zechariah 14, 9. He's the king of the earth. Look, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God measures time morally. God knows when a nation won't return and when they don't return, there's nothing left to redeem. When there's nothing left to redeem in a nation, you know what God does? He judges that nation. We don't know when. And if, it's, and, and if this is the case, now think about this. America should be thankful for the church. Now, you know, they should be so thankful for the church because God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for, you know, for there was not even 10 righteous men in the city. It wasn't 10. Abraham went down the list. Well, God, if it was, if it was 50, yeah, 40, 30, you know, he's hockling God in a sense. And it wasn't even 10 righteous men in the city. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he will not judge the righteous with the wicked. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. You know, it says that man, you know, <clears throat> Righteous Lot, he's called. Peter calls him Righteous Lot in 2 Peter 2.7. Righteous Lot was vexed. His soul was vexed looking at their filthiness. 
And here they, uh, they all in the city of the Medes now, scattered all around going, you know, north and so forth, east. So it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. They forgot every sin is against God. Who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared their other gods and walked in the statues of the other nations, the heathen nations, whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of, of Israel, which they had made. Notice verse 9. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. How can you do something in secret from God? David said, against you, and not only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, in Psalm 51, verse 4, in your sight. Everything is naked before his eyes, the one whom we must give account. Even how we think, our hearts, <laughs> when we're mad about something, we say, I'm all right, I'm all right. And you say, I'll kill him, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. And God sees all of it. He sees all of it. You know, there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that which should come to light. That's what it says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 22. Everything that we do, look, God sees it all. You can fake people out with the, you know, 52 fake out, but God sees all of it. So I don't have no attitude. You do have an attitude. We're looking at this the other night when Sarah laughed. And it says, Sarah laughed within herself. And the Lord said, you did laugh. She said, I didn't laugh. You did laugh. I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. You know he sees everything. If you think you're getting away with something, you are so deceived. Nobody gets away with nothing. And if you get caught doing wrong, that's because the Lord loves you. If you get away with it, it's going to strike you, maybe kill you. I don't know. But if you keep getting caught, you say, that's his grace. He loves you. He loves you. Like Jacob. Jacob always got caught. The Lord loved him. It says, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city, Israel. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and every, under every green tree. This is the worship of Ashtoreth and all kinds of prostitute worship and immorality. And there they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away from them and did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall, notice, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all, notice, by all his prophets, every seer saying, and they all had the same message, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I've commanded your fathers and which I sent to you my servants, the prophets. In other words, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, Daniel, you know, wherever those prophets were, but not Daniel specifically, but Jeremiah and Isaiah for sure, um, you know, Micah, Hosea, you know, you look, all of them, their message was, you know, the same message, turn from your evil ways and keep God's word. Same message. The same message. That's what I love about Calvary Chapel. You can go to Calvary Chapel and you have verse-by-verse Bible study. Basically the same message. The same teaching of God's word. And he says, he sent them early in the morning they came. And God sent them to testify against Israel and Judah because they were so evil. All of his prophets. Look, the prophets, Isaiah got sawn into tradition says. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern. An old man, he was like 60, 62 or so, thrown into a cistern. And Epic Malik pulled him out. Flavors Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that, look, the mud was up to his nose, his nostrils. He had to put his head up. He, the, the, and then Epic Malik goes to Zedekiah and they get, you know, 30 men and they pull him out of this pit. And he put ropes under the, you know, um, you know, rags under the rope, then he pulled um, Jeremiah out of this pit. It was for teaching the truth. 
Telling the nation to repent. Repent of your sins. People go to jail because of telling people the truth. Cost John the Baptist's head. It's not lawful for you to be with your brother's wife. And it cost him his head. And here is a huge nevertheless in the whole entire Bible. Look, this is nevertheless, he sent prophets, nevertheless, they would not hear because faith come by hearing and then hearing by the word of God. And they, they had the word, but it wasn't mixed with faith. And the word didn't have their hearts, only their, their minds temporarily. You know how you hear something? It shouldn't have your mind, it should have your heart. That's where you bear fruit from when the word is sown into your heart. That's where you bear fruit from. With a, Luke says with a noble, he uses the Greek word kalos, a noble heart, an honest heart. That's the person that bears fruit. They were just listening to it with their mind. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that it was like a love song when they heard the word. And they were in captivity, and they still didn't care nothing about what he was saying. They were in captivity north of Babylon, 200 miles proper near the river Chabar, and Ezekiel was teaching the people, and it was like a lovely song to them. I get up here for years, I've been teaching the Bible, and I can always say, oh, you know, this is just a lovely song to these people. Oh, they, they, yeah, they, yeah, thank you. That was nice. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. Church over. Hey, let me tell you what's going on in my life for real. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. I got a lot of stuff going on. Didn't you see the word? Something grabbed your heart? Yeah, but, you know, I got stuff going on. I'm like, what? The word should be sown in your heart. That's the only way you grow. Not does I come to church for a social gathering. Or I come to church because I like the people there and we just became good friends over time. That's nice. But you should come to church. And we have a, a pretty good sized Bible study here, you know, on Wednesday nights. But that's because y'all love the word. That's why. And that's why all of y'all growing. Because y'all love the word. Amen. But so many people don't have what we have. It's become a social club here. We're like, no, he better teach the Bible. If not, I'm never coming back to that place. If I ever stop teaching the Bible, leave. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers. Notice, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They had the message of God, but they did not believe in God. And they rejected, it's ma'ak in Hebrew, which means despise or refuse. It can mean to abhor. This word, you know, it's found 76 times in the Old Testament. They rejected, they despised his statutes and his covenant that he had made with his, their fathers and his testimonies. Same thing for the word of God, testimonies, statutes covenant, you know, his word, the testimonies which he had testified against them, they followed, look, they had the word of God, but look what it says, they followed idols, we could never do that, became idolaters, oh, we could never do that, and went after the nations who were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves, look, made for themselves molding images of two calves, you know, one in Dan, one in Bethel, made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven, the stars and the, you know, and served Baal. Had the Ouija boards in their house, did seances, you know. Come back, Aunt Jessie, come back, you know, something like that. Speak to us. I see the wind blow. Oh, run, you know. And they caused their sons and daughters, notice here, to pass through the fire. Look what they practiced. Witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to the evil who in the sight of the Lord to provoke him. Look, the Lord told the nation directly through Moses. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 11, through Moses, it says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11, this is for, 
For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will depossess or dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. This was after they were already in the promised land. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. I like the Bible study, but I'm not going to study the Bible. Isn't that something? I love to listen to Christian teaching on the radio, but I only want to hear it when circumstances is wrong. God said, you don't get to know me that way. You get to know me when you spend time with me. You get to know me when you prove to me that you love me more than anything else. That's when you get to know me. And he says, therefore, in verse 18, is the conclusion of verses 14 through 16 and 17. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight, not his physical sight, because this like anthropomorphic in language, because God can see everything. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And that's something. This seems somewhat insane because the southern kingdom, Judah, just witnessed what happened to the northern kingdom. It seemed like you say, look, those guys got taken captive. We better get our act together. They would for about 143 years. And then they would, you know, from 722 when the northern kingdom was taken to almost 605, the first deportation. You know, then they burned down, you know, 597. Judah was taken 586 B.C. to Jerusalem. The temple was burned down. They did. They had a whole period of time when they could have followed the Lord. And they had a couple of good kings from Hezekiah to Josiah. Those were the only good two kings out of the Dell. Because after Hezekiah, you had Manasseh. He reigned for 55 years. He was the most wickedest king in all of both sides. You had Ammon, his son. He was wicked. He didn't reign long. Then you had Josiah would come and start revival. But then Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, they were all bad kings in the southern kingdom. And the next four verses gives us the commentary of the consequences of sin as it spelled out for the nation of Israel and Judah in the law. <clears throat> and verse 20, And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, notice, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit <clears throat> a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he, hit, which he did, and they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, meaning the northern kingdom, as he had said by all my, his servants, the prophets. So the Lord, I mean, so Israel rather was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Then the king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, Kutha. Ava, they don't even sound right, do they? I don't know nobody named Kutha, and I don't want to know nobody named Kutha. Kutha, Ava, Hamath. From um, Sephaviram, Sephaviram, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. So they are placing these foreigners in the land of Israel and in and, and in turn, taking Israel to foreign lands, displacing them all over the north and abroad. Sin always takes us out of the rightful position, our rightful position with God. Isn't it something? And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions. They still ain't fear the Lord. Imagine the Lord sent some lions. <laughs> you know, I was looking, I always have this, I'm fascinated with lions. Like, I don't know why for me, I like to see, like, animals fight. It's not good. But I'm fascinated. I'm always looking to see, can a tiger beat a lion? I don't know why this is fascinating to me. And I want the tiger to win for some reason. And they, you know, they say a tiger can beat them pound for pound. But I just like to see the fight. I don't know why I like it. It's something crazy. I don't know. Oh, I like when you see the, um, you know, those animals. You know, those hyenas. They'd be saying all kinds of stuff, you know, oh, come on, 
You know, I'm like, what are they talking about? And, <laughs> and I like when they fight over food. You know, I just love that. Well, just excuse me. I'm sorry. I had a moment there. It says that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Should have, of the ones that survived, it should have scared them half to death to want to follow the Lord. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have, have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has not sent lions among them, and indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals, the rituals notice, of God, of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there, let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. These pagans are requesting that they, that they may learn how to worship the God of their new home in Israel. When God's own people who were in the land could care less about his word than anything else. Is that interesting? Then one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. The amazing thing here is that this priest who was in the land and didn't worship God when he could, could have, and, and now he's forced by the king of Assyria to show these pagans how to worship God, who called him a, a minister before. You know, what, what irony right here. You know, he, he, he's forced to do it. However, Every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans, notice here we go, the Samaritans, first time we got the Samaritans here, the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities where they dwell. This is the origin of the Samaritans here who only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Samaritans were hated by Jews, and they were considered half-breeds. It says, The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth. The men of Cuth made Nargal. That's the god of the underworld. The men of Hamath made um, Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And, uh, you know, Sephavites and burnt their children in the fire of in the Adram, Melach. The Talmud teaches that this pagan god was in the form of a donkey. And Anna, Melach, the gods of Sephavirim, these were Babylonian gods. So they feared the Lord. And from every class, they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who said, this is a mess, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, notice, yet served their own gods. Isn't that like some of us, huh? According to the rituals of the nations from whom among, from among whom they were carried away, to this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They did not fear the Lord, nor did they follow the statutes or the ordinances or the law and commandment, commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob. Now God changed their name. You know, he would say Israel, and then it says Jacob, children of Jacob. That's always a picture of the flesh. Didn't say the children of Israel. God changed their name so they would be a distinct people, but instead they disobeyed the Lord. This resulted in the birth of Samaritans, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them, but the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, you, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinance, the law and the commandment which he wrote to you, the nation of Israel, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. 
So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. How about that? Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day, because more is caught than taught. They learned it from somewhere and they followed it. Sin is always big, a bigger problem than just one person who commits it. It affects an entire nation. That's what sin does. It affects an entire nation. And a nation, this nation is an autonomous nation we live in. It's not, before you could tell people what not to do, now you can't tell them what they can't be. I can be whatever I want to be. I feel like I'm a bird. <laughs> All right, bird man. <laughs> this is the world we live in. I feel like I'm a hawk. All right, hockey. Oh, man, hey, that's hockey. <laughs> I feel like I'm a car because I'm laying in the garage. I'm not a car. You know. This is the world we live in. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand up as we pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the consistency, Lord, of reminding us, Lord, to obey you. To obey you. To never stop obeying you. To live in obedience. To walk in obedience. To talk in obedience. To think in obedience. To just obey you, Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. So, Lord, we know you desire us, Lord, but, Lord, you want us to be in step with you, Lord. Jesus said, Lord, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not that we're perfect, but we love to be perfected. And if we fall down, you said the righteous men fall down, but he's not utterly cast down. We can get back up again. We can walk this journey with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being our Lord, our Savior, our Master. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your great name. When we say the great name of Jesus, we pray, amen.